We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to another episode of the DTF Podcast. It is the DOS TO Fanta Podcast. It is Tuesday morning, October 4th, 11 a.m., the year 2022, the year of our Lord. Gentlemen, what's going on, man? We are officially five weeks away from the start of college basketball season. I can't wait. With that in mind, I do want to drop a couple programming notes here uh, for what this podcast is going to end up being. For the rest of the preseason, we have a whole bunch of season preview content that we're going to put out on the field of 68 and the field of 68 after dark. That's happening in about three weeks. There will be an announcement coming for that. This show, what we're going to do is we're going to keep talking about some of the topical storylines, but we're also going to add in conference previews uh, over the course of the next six shows. Today, we are diving into the Big East, which is why. I got my Yukon jersey on, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Let's go. Um, anyway, gentlemen, how are we doing? What's going on, T.O.? I'm going to go to you first on this one because every time I go to Fanta First, you yell at me for not asking how you're doing. So how are you doing, sir? I am fantastic. And that fall weather has finally started to creep down south a little bit. It's mm-hmm. supposed to be 70 here where I'm at, and I couldn't be happier. But it also means conference previews time, which for us is kind of a little snippet of happiness. It's not quite all the way there. But it's like we can taste it just a little bit. So that part's good. And then uh, just kind of moving forward as far as that's concerned, my, my Clemson Tigers, I told somebody the other day, we're, pre- we're pretty good. We're pretty good, guys. We're going to keep <laughs> on moving it in the correct direction. But I will be as non-biased as possible talking basketball. That's my profession. That's what I want to do. I'll be non-biased. However, I'm a Clemson Tigers football fan. And I can't help myself. That offense is clicking. My life is good. And the tailgate's even better. Yeah, I just want to say shout out to DJ Uyangalele, who mm-hmm. uh, who hit the over 170 yards passing prop that I had on him over the weekend. And who also led Clemson to over 23 and a half total points uh, over the weekend, which was nice for uh, the Rob Doster Bet Rivers betting account uh it needed a little bit of a boost after a rough couple of weeks to start the football season. Fanta. How do you feel now? All right. So we, we've been doing this DTF podcast for more than a year. How do yeah. you feel now being a co-host on the show with reality television star, Terrence Ogles? <laughs> well, it's an honor. What an honor and a privilege to be with a reality TV star. For those of you who don't know, Terrence is involved in a television show. Terrence, what's the name of that show? The Crew League. The Crew League. The Crew League. My man was lacing it up this summer. 
and showcased his talents with some of the best ballers in the world. Terrence, explain to people what the heck that was. And, and I got to tell here's you, what I, I want to know, T.O. I want to know who was the best. Which one of those rappers was the best Hooper? That's what I want to know. Out of that whole out of the whole thing. Yeah. OK, so I can only talk about the first. Well, we, we've only had one episode come out and I signed a confidentiality agreement. So I got to be careful. But because uh, I'm not trying to catch catch these papers on my front door. <laughs> but uh, so NLE Chapa is a good player. He, he goes around and plays in all these celebrity tournaments. He's a pretty good player. Uh, Quavo is obviously a good player because he's a good athlete. He's good at pretty much everything. The only problem is he's about 5'9", 5'10". The, the one that helped us having – I was on Waka Flocka's team. So for people who don't know, Waka Flocka Flame, his management called me. I'm friends with uh, I'm friends with his management team, and I met Waka some years ago. And they were like, "Hey, we're putting this crew league team together. Are you interested?" I said, "Absolutely." I, they said, "Well, we don't know if we can pay." I said, "Doesn't matter." <laughs> <laughs> I said, "Absolutely, I will show up." Uh, so I played a grand uh, a, a grand total of like three possessions uh, in game one, and then uh, as it goes on, and I can talk more about it, I'll be able to tell more stories. But uh, it was it the was best, so much. The best fun. moment so far was the teaser that came out when they're they're interviewing you in your first interview, and they're like. You want to what swag? They were like, "What this swag is called are you father on? of two, middle aged." I said, "Middle aged father swag." Yeah. I got a lot of love for that one. People, loved you, said, it. you said, "No, no, don't show my shoes. Keep the camera up here. Yeah. <laughs> we, don't need, we don't need to do all that." Well, the funny thing was, was we had a, we had this guy, Fly Guy DC, who's like a big radio personality in Atlanta, and he's dressed to the nines. Man, he's such a he's so good at what he does. And he's just hype, hype, hype all the time. And he's got these brand new Kyries and God knows what kind of socks on. And like, I'm just like looking at him like, dude, this dude looks fantastic. They're going to interview me next. And then they're going to ask about my swag and I'm screwed. I was like, I just, I, I just have to fully embrace it. But uh, it, it was a lot of fun. And as far as your question, it helped that Waka is about six, five. It helped because he helped on the boards a little bit. Uh, so where his value was, where his value could have been is what Waka was best at. And that's on the boards. And he hit a couple of free throws and the rules are a little wonky. I can't, I can't go into all that right now, unless we're going to do the whole episode on it, but you might, you might say a lot he went of hard in the paint. He goes hard in the paint. He goes hard <laughs> in the paint. He tried to, we, we had some interesting stuff. happen. I can't talk about it. And that sucks. Right. But we, but we, we had some interesting things happen. We have this guy named Ludine, who's a rapper from New Orleans, and he's an intense dude. Where can Nuts. people find the show? The Crew League. You can find it on Revolt TV, and then you can also find the full episode on uh, YouTube. So search Revolt YouTube. Look at Waka versus Joiner Lucas in round one, and you'll see us go and, and how it all unraveled. I want an IMDB page made for Terrence Sobel. <laughs> If this doesn't happen, there's a problem with the system. With the, with the happen, profile the photo and starring st lead roles throughout his career. Hardly. I really want that for you. I really want that for you. <laughs> it was yeah. a, hey, look, it was, it was a lot of fun and it was a lot of nonsense. It was a lot of, I, ha I hate to even make this comparison. It was desperate housewives meets, meets basketball. <laughs> <laughs> and like, it was a lot more desperate housewives. And like, there's drama, there's trash talk, there's egos that are just out of this world. I mean, like, including mine and mine was a little bit like lower. And that's how, you know, the egos were like, that's nuts. how, you know, that's how, you know, like it, it was a lot of fun. And as it goes on, it, it's a very enjoyable, entertaining thing. It was, I can assure you. 
It was Jersey Shore in jerseys instead Bingo. of the Hardy T-shirts. Bingo. <laughs> Bingo. But it was in Atlanta at OTE. By the way, OTE, that place is immaculate. We'll, we'll, get, in, we'll get into that. We'll get into that. All right. Um, a couple things that I want to talk about before we get into the quick little rundown. Uh, make sure you can buy your copy of The Almanac. It's 1999, 600,000 words, 814 pages. We have 1,300 words on every single Division One team. You can get the link to buy in the description below. Uh, make sure that you're subscribed to the field of 68 daily. That is the best way for you to stay updated on all of the college basketball news every morning, 830 AM in your email inbox, you get uh, probably about a thousand words, 900 to a thousand words on all the happenings that day in college basketball every morning, Monday through Friday. It's the best thing to, uh, to read while you're drinking your coffee. Um, all good. right. So it's before very we get good. To- I was not a part of it. It's very, very good. Yeah. You're not, a- we-, we kept you out of there. We uh, you're, yeah. you're here for the talking and for the jump shots, the writing. Yeah, not so, not so me, me and Fanta were not apart, but it, it is a fantastic <laughs> read. You guys did an excellent job. I'm just throwing that um, All right, so before we get into the Big East, I do want to ask you guys, the Memphis IARP ruling came out, mm-hmm. and despite having four level one violations, Memphis got off with basically nothing. I think it was like a $5,000 fine and a couple of years probation, but it was basically nothing. No postseason ban, no suspension for Penny Hardaway, no nothing. Fanta. How do you feel about this? Well, I think it's just the latest reflection of the NCAA's punishment system, which is terrible. Uh, I, I think that you can both say that Memphis got off easy here and got off right. And I, I appreciate that. I mean, I, when I look at the whole scope of everything here, Penny Hardaway has helped the youth with, with in different ways throughout his life and, and that's part of, of this investigation. He was helping out James Wiseman, and he's helped out many others before. Guys, it's not so much about the fact that Memphis got off easy for me. That's not my takeaway. I'm happy that they did. I want to make that clear because I, I think that the whole punishment system and the way that we can throw the, the bag of punishments at Mike Boyden in Oklahoma State, but then yeah. this happens to Memphis This goes back to the fact that in the NCAA, there is zero uniformity. There's no uniformity. When we heard that that ruling was coming down that morning on Memphis, we had no idea what the scope of the punishment would be. That can't be. That cannot be your regulated punishment system. It's why the IARP is a load of garbage it's why it's going out the window anyways the ncaa has basically admitted that it was a bad idea they did about a month ago in a in a press release they said look it's going out the window it's it really doesn't match up with what we're trying to do here i'll believe it when i see it on the infractions and on the punishment having any sort of uniformity or making any level of sense i'm happy for memphis i'm happy for for penny hardaway but these punishments continue to take way, 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 way too long to give out. And by the time they come out, they end up hurting a lot more than they end up serving any sort of a purpose. I'm glad for once that this did not affect Memphis severely. But the problem I have, guys, is I don't know what the next punishment, what LSU, what Arizona, what those programs are going to get, because the NCAA never makes any sense on these punishments. And it's just a reflection of it when you look at the sharp contrast between a program like Memphis that gets to walk into the season and has it all easy and a program like Oklahoma State that faced way too severe of a penalty when they got it. Yeah, think about how long it's been since LSU and Arizona and Kansas got in trouble for this stuff. More than five years. 
there are kindergartners out there that weren't born when when uh, when when this happened, right? When the when the FBI investigation started, more than five years, more than five years. There are I was kids finishing my playing career. Yeah, there there are kids that went to college as freshmen and are now graduates. Yeah, that are now graduates working jobs that, that are that are that that. That outlasted this investigation. It's just, it's an, it's insane. I hate the way that it works. I hate the setup. I will say this, T.O., the lawyers always get paid. And to me, the lawyers here did the job. Like they, they need to walk around like puffing their chests out. They need to walk out there strutting because they essentially argued that Penny is, I don't want to say Robin Hood, um, but he, he's basically like, all he does is help people in his community. And to be able to understand that money and that paycheck and that $11,500 that went to James Wiseman's family. You need to understand that Penny helps everybody in that Memphis community. I mean, he's a guy that he has, has for a long time. Yeah. That has made what he made a hundred million dollars, something like that in his basketball career. He's made seven or eight figures from a Nike deal that he probably still is getting paychecks from. He's making more than seven figures with a crooked number in front with his, with his, uh, his deal for Memphis as the head coach. He's probably spreading that money around the community and helping people in his community. And he's a Memphis native in his community that needs help. And basically what the lawyer said is how can you get him in trouble for helping out this kid when he's helped out these thousands of people over here doing essentially the exact same thing. How can you prove that this is a recruiting inducement when it's the exact same thing that he's done over here? It reminds me a little bit of the, uh, the North Carolina ruling about what was that? Like eight years ago with their fake classes. Yeah. Part of that was North Carolina, essentially. They were doing like, it for people, not just, in, not just athletes. Yeah. They so they were doing it for everyone else. They also had the benefit of saying that um, the NCAA has no control over ruling whether or not a class is a real class that falls on the institution and that falls on with the places that allow institutions to be accredited. So basically North Carolina said, yeah, these fake classes we believe are real. And then they dealt with whatever they had to deal with, with the accrediting institution and, and which goes way above the NCAAs. So they, that's how they were able to get out of it. But I mean, you got to give credit to the lawyers here, T.O. Fantastic job by them. And Penny has done a lot of good for that Memphis community. And I, guys, I'm, I'm going to be honest. You both did such a great job of breaking that down. I'm not sure what I can really add. But what I will say, you, you talk, talked about the North Carolina thing. The, the inconsistency is something that bothers me as well. And that's something that Fanta alluded to. Like, you're not going to come down hard on, say, a North Carolina or somebody like that. But then you're going to go after Charleston Southern for a couple of kids selling books. You know what I mean? Like, yep. they're all under the same umbrella, but yet you treat one school one way and one school another way. I'm glad the a, uh, IARP, whatever acronym that is, uh, like, I'm, I'm glad that that's going away. And it, it, it's a new time. And finally, we're finally getting to, you know, at least a little bit more clarity with them having a lot less power. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It does. And, and the last thing I have on this is, does it not come off to you guys that they quite literally treat each case individually to a point that they don't ever cross examine or, or take a look at how they're handling every case and right. try to apply the same types of standards and rules. And what that comes off to me is, is that the IARP is basically this, this group of different college officials uh, and administrators and overseers of infractions that the NCAA assigns. And I think that this group is basically sectoring off into either mini groups or, uh, you know, sectors of their whole group and reviewing these cases very closely, doing a deep dive. The, the problem is 
when you have no real system of punishment and you don't follow any sort of a precedent, you have zero sort of organization into how you hand these penalties down, whether it be timeline or whether it be what exactly the punishments are. So like for me, the NCAA continually defeats themselves. They defeated themselves on NIL for the longest period of time. They said NIL would kill them. NIL is the very thing that's making college basketball better right now. They defeat themselves when they say that one school's getting punished to this level. And then when something similar comes down to another school, they, they don't do anything similarly to what the previous punishment was. You're going to be susceptible to getting criticized. If you're running a company and two employees do the same thing and you punish one employee more than the other employee, correct? you're going to end up getting in a lot of trouble in 2022. The NCAA goes by their own wind and the, and their own ways. And I just wonder, it, it makes it, me look, wonder it's a, The problem is if there's no, if there's no, they don't follow any precedent, which means every single one of these cases are handled by a case by case basis, which means there's no level of expectation, which means there's no accountability. If for example, Mike Boyton in Oklahoma state get a fucking postseason ban for something that is completely negligible and exactly the same as what some of these other programs like, uh, what was they it? had nothing to do Alabama, with anybody on the team and nothing to do with, like, it's just the, the way that it's set up is bullshit. And I, I, it frustrates me to no end. And look, I still feel for Mike Boyton. He was out there trolling the NCAA on Twitter. When this ruling came down, I, I think that he's handled it about as well as you can, but um, can I, I don't want to thing. Yeah. I hurry want, I, I yeah, add- yeah. You got, you got, you got one minute. I just want to add that talking to coaches in the preseason, when you ask them about the state of college basketball, most of them are ending their answer with this. We better get the hiring of the NCAA president right. Mm -hmm. You can't just have Mark Emmert step down and then botch the next hire. This hire is the biggest hire in the history of the NCAA, and they've got to get it right. Me hire hire Doster hire Rob. I'm not I'm not printing those T-shirts. Hire Rob. <laughs> I'll be the NCAA. I have no problem doing it. You know how much Mark Emery made last year? Ten mil. Two points. Well, you're going to the Champions Classic, so the NCAA office is a short trip away. You could drive over and hand off your application. <laughs> I'll see you there, David Warlock. Hey, wait, do that. Do it. Hey, do it. Go drop your application I'm gonna, I'm going to apply for the uh, for for NCAA president. I'm going to run. Um, all right. Uh, I don't want to spend too much time on it. I just want to send thoughts and prayers out to Vincent Uchukwu, um, USC, five-star freshman, center, um, had a – I don't want to go too into specifics with it, but it was he has a heart issue uh, that popped up at a practice. I believe that Matt Norlander reported that he collapsed. Um, sounds like he is doing all right, but he's being held out of basketball-related activities. We don't know when he's going to be back. I don't want to tread into the – the medical field at this point, but I just, I, I want to acknowledge that because he was going to be a really good player for USC this year. Um, so we don't know if he's going to be playing. And I just, I hope that he gets back, man. You never want to see that happen to a kid. Uh, it's nice to see Keontae Johnson returning to the court. I think that's one of the more interesting storylines this year. Um, so it is possible. I don't think this necessarily means it's the end of his career, but I wanted to mention that. All right. Before we get into the league preview, one last question. I, I teed this up for you guys. I don't know if you actually read the rundowns. I'm guessing that T.O. probably did. Fanta, that you're probably going to be making this one up on the spot. But which football school? We know how in college football this year, all the basketball schools are having success. Kansas is 5-0. and Duke is winning. The UConn Huskies went into Fresno State and took down the Bulldogs for their first win. Oh, in it was a hey, home hold win. on, hold on, hold on, hold on. It was hold a home on. win. 
They didn't go there. Okay. Well, regardless, they beat they beat a, you, a team that wasn't used to even acknowledge their football team not three months ago, Doster. But why would I? <laughs> you why, why would I? Why what would a great I acknowledge job it? by Coach Mora. It's what a now, great job. UConn is a football school now, T.O. And Preston Pearson, GM of the football team. Go ahead and throw a shout out to him. Great job, UConn. Keep it going. I, <laughs> hey, I've acknowledged UConn's football team. Doster tried to throw him under the bus. Hey, look, I was all in when they were up 14 nothing on Utah State, and then uh, that didn't go well. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. All right, so I want to know which football school do you think is going to have a breakout basketball season this year, a la Kansas on the gridiron. T.O., I'll go to you first. Sure. I did look at the run-through. I did. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> promise. <laughs> uh, Florida State could be back. I think that's a football school. A lot of people are saying, oh, that's a basketball school, yada, yada, yada. No, it's a football school, and they could be good. Uh, basically, the whole SEC is filled with, filled with football schools. That's kind of a tough one. Now, now Kentucky's a football school, so Kentucky could break out. I like that team <laughs> a lot. Uh, I went, hey, guys, I, I, I've done my little trips running around. I went to Furman, Asheville, went to Georgia Tech, went to Georgia. J- Mike White's put together a team that could – they're not going to compete at the top of the league, but they could mess around and win some games in that conference. He put together some guys – uh, was it Moncrief that transferred from Oklahoma State? They have some athletes there, so we'll see how that goes. Hey, T.O., after you say that, after you finish your point, I'm going to read the text that you sent about uh, Georgia basketball. No, you're Georgia. not. <laughs> and I was wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong. I was like, I'm going to go down and watch this terrible team. No, they're not terrible. They've put together a nice little team. This kid from Bradley, Terry Roberts, is a nice player. Yeah, yeah, Michael likes them. Um, I – I think they have a real shot to win uh, five or six games in the SEC this year. Which so. that which is yeah, better than what they won six games last year. Yeah. With, and I think a lot of Georgia fans would be completely okay with that. Um, all right, Fancy, give me your your football school you think has a chance in basketball this year. Well, I think that the most fascinating of these schools, just because I've seen all types of different projected finishes for them, as high as two or three in their league, if not as low as five or six. Also, their league's a monster. I'm going to go with Alabama. Yeah. I just think that with the talent that Nate Oates brings in, I'm really intrigued to see how all of this talent shelves out. I've heard amazing things about Brandon Miller. I think he has a chance to be a tremendous player, a one-and-done type of talent, could, could explode on the scene in Tuscaloosa. Jaden Bradley, a point guard. I mean, a dynamic, dynamic recruit. This Alabama class is one of the best in the country. Nate Oates has showed in a very short period of time, just how much he can transform the Crimson Tide. So, guys, if for nothing else, like Arkansas is the easy answer in the SEC because of Nick Smith, because of that recruiting class, but I'm fascinated to see what Alabama does because Oates has proven himself, and this class with Miller could be the SEC freshman of the year, and it wouldn't surprise any of us, but I think that nationally – I'm I'm giving some love to the Crimson Tide. Not that they need any more of it, but I'm really fascinating to see how Oates does with this particular team because they lost some key pieces. Javon Quinterly's status is also intriguing to me this season in terms which, of his injury might, return. That's a big that's a big variable. Yeah, and it might be a good thing for Alabama if uh, he is injured for the entire season. Hmm. Agreed. Yeah, they're in tier um, one. It's a tire one. Uh, what, what's interesting <laughs> is that in like the SEC, a lot of the like football schools have already kind of had their breakout, right? Whether it's Tennessee or Alabama or Auburn. 
Um, you mentioned Arkansas, right? Like they've they've been to back to back elite eights. Like it's very hard for me to sit here and say that that is even a football school at this point. Like that that might be a basketball school. Must got that thing rolling. Um, and I love like that DJ we- thing. I love that DGA thing that Must does. He did it at the football game the other day with all this yeah. team. I yeah. love that stuff. He gets yeah, he, it, man. You got to market. Yes, he does. Yeah, he's he's the best. I I used to think Cal was the best marketer in college basketball. It's wow. It's- it's must. Like I, I don't even think it's close. It's must. No, it's it's. It connects must. to everybody over there. Yeah, it connects it's, to everybody. It's must. It's not even. Okay, close. who's your school? So I think for me, it's it's Florida, right? And I still think that Florida, you would call them a football school. I know yes. that they won the back-to-back titles. I still think that they're a football school, and I am very much in on this team having the ceiling of being a top fifteen team in college basketball, assuming that Kyle Lofton is as good as like the buzz coming out of Gainesville right now has him being Colin Castleton, I think is the real deal. Now this hinges on Kawasi Reeves, Alex fudge. And um, who's the kid from uh, I'm blanking on his name, the Belmont kid to you. Will Richard. Will Richard. Yeah. yeah. It hinges on those three stepping in and turning that into like, that's a lot. Yeah. They got all three of those guys have to take a big step forward this year, which I think is possible. Um, and, but w- when you combine, you have three, role player wings that need to be like three and D guys that are versatile and switchable with a fifth year senior point guard. That's a stud and a fifth year senior center. That's a stud. And you give me that group. Plus the fact that I think Todd golden is like one of these savant basketball guys that's going to find a way to maximize his roster. And the fact that they got enough depth and enough pieces behind them to me, like I I think that there's a real chance that Florida could be like a top 15 team. All right. Before, before you say that, we have. I want to get into the Big East preview. I know we got to get out of here. I don't. Yes. I don't want to have this be an hour and a half long podcast. So Big East, the Big East, baby. We're going to preview the Big East. We're going to break it all down. I have seven topics of what we're going to do for each one of these conferences. We're doing five minutes on each one of them. All right. We're going to start. I want from each one of you the most interesting storyline this year in the Big East Conference. Fanta, you are the king of the Big East. You are Mister Big East basketball. What's the most interesting storyline? Breaking news, the Field of 68 has an online store, and it's your one-stop shop for the latest and greatest merch in college basketball and college football. You can find shirts to support your favorite team, make fun of your rival team, or boast Field of 68 catchphrases like Daddy Brad, Cussing and Discussing, and the Star Heels. Go to www.fieldof68.shop today and enter promo code TOUCHDOWN for 20% off at checkout. Sean Miller taking over at Xavier. Because I think that the Musketeers have had the talent to be an NCAA tournament program the last couple of seasons. They have not gotten there. This program went to 15 of 17 NCAA tournaments when they got in in 2018 as a number one seed. They haven't been back since. Of course, one of the tournaments got canceled. It doesn't matter. Xavier is an every year NCAA tournament program. That's what they've been traditionally. Miller taking over at Xavier is so intriguing to me because Sean Miller owns a winning percentage of close to 75% of the games he's coached in. We know about his past. We know that there's the, the investigation of him, and we know that there could be some sort of a suspension uh, maybe early in the season that, that happens. That is on the table as an option, but – it's, if it if it does happen, it's not going to be something that's too significant. And in my opinion, he just needs to tell the uh, the NCAA that he was um, helping kids move, and he's been helping kids move to Tucson for years and years and years and years and years. Right. <laughs> in my opinion, 
Xavier can win the Big East this season. They have that type of ceiling. They can challenge Creighton at the top of that league. And I think it has never been a question of talent at Xavier. It's been a question of the past couple of years of coaching. No offense to Travis Steele, but Xavier has fallen flat on their face in February the last couple of years. I really like what I'm seeing from this team. I think Colby Jones has a chance to be a Big East player of the year dark horse. And guys, remember the name Desmond Claude. He looks like he's going to explode on the scene in Cincinnati, and that's a great fan base. It's an awesome atmosphere. Xavier returns to the map nationally this season. Des Claude, New Haven's finest uh, potential one-and-done guy. I think that that's a, there's a non-zero possibility that he's one-and-done in, uh, in Xavier. T.O., most interesting storyline, Big East Conference. Uh, I love that one, and then the fact that Sean's having to deal with Fremantle uh, is a big thing as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that that kind of plugs into that storyline, which is huge because you're adjusting that culture. Mine is uh, St. John's backcourt. Look at uh, Curbelo and Posh Alexander. Neither one of them can throw it in the ocean. Both are electric playmakers. One defends. One is all flash. It's either going to be the best thing St. John's fans are, is ever going to see. It's going to be the worst thing. St. John's fans are ever going to see. I'm so intrigued by how they mesh together. There's not a ton of shooting on that team. That's going to be interesting in and of itself because those guys are going to be driving into a paint that's going to be packed. Somebody's going to have to step up from the perimeter and they're going to have to knock down shots. The, number one in the country in pace with two lightning fast point guards and playmakers. That's going to be so much fun to watch. Not to mention, Champagne had 15 and six last night in a preseason game for the Sixers, I believe. I looked at like, yep. Yep. If he was back, I would be all in on the on the Johnnies. He's not back. They need somebody to shoot the rock. I'm worried about that, but I'm also wildly intrigued by those two playing together. St. John's is going to win one or two games that they, they shouldn't win, and they're also going to lose like three or four games. You're like, how how are you losing to FAU? Like, how, how mm-hmm. are you losing? How are you losing to Iona? What is happening here? So and they they're going to have a game where it's going to be like they're going to come. They're going to have like 40 assists, both teams combined, and then they're going to have a game where both teams combined for 40 turnovers. Yeah, <laughs> because they're going to de- they're going to defend their butt off. They're going to get a turnover. They're going to go down. They're going to dribble it off their foot, and then it's like it's just going to be an absolute. It's going to be so much fun. The 17th row. He's going to throw it into the upper deck at MSG. Well, the good part about when he throws it, he doesn't know where it's going because he's not looking where he's throwing it. So if it does go up in the 15th row, it'll be fun. It'll be a pretty 15th row pass. He's going to be dropping dimes to Fanta, who's calling the game from Carneseca Arena. Outside. <laughs> That'd be awesome. <laughs> um, to me, the most interesting storyline is who fills the power vacuum at the top of the conference, right? This has been Jay Wright's league, more or less, for the last six or seven years. Uh, Villanova made the Final Four last year. They did not win the Big East regular season title. That was Providence. Um, now we see Sean Miller coming in and he's going to stake his claim and make a run at it. We see uh, Creighton, who is going to be everybody's preseason favorite to win the conference with what they bring back and what Greg McDermott has been able to build. Um, I think UConn is going to be very much in that conversation, right? I probably would have them third or fourth. There's a chance that they could end up winning. Uh, Providence is the, they're the reigning, reigning champs in the league. We got Shaheen Holloway coming home to Seton Hall, right? So with Kyle Neptune taking over at Villanova, who is going to step in? Who is going to make this be their league? Who's going to kind of take control of the conference? Or is it going to be one of these things where now it's every year we're going to have a race? And I think it's a lot more fun when it's every year you're going to end up having a race. All right. Speaking of that, I want to know who you guys consider the favorite to win. you, I'm going to you first on this one. And who you think has an actual real chance to be able to contend with them. Uh, Creighton 
in my mind right now with all their guard play, they've got a year under their belt. They still had like, I think Arthur Kaluma is one of the best wing scorers with that big, strong physical body. And then I don't understand this. I'm, I'm going to go on a personal gripe right now. Uh, Ryan Kalkbrenner was what he, he was an all mm-hmm. honorable mention, big East player last year. He was the defensive player in the year and he doesn't make one of your teams. Like, are we not, are we completely eliminating voting from that side of the floor? You don't think he impacts more than that? I thought he should have been first or second team for sure. He's on my preseason first team all league for a reason. I think he's extending his game out. He's been working on his shot. That team has guards everywhere. Nimbard's back. He's healthy. Trey Alexander got a lot of minutes at the point during his absence. This team has tools. And not only that, the addition of Baylor Shireman, poof, it's going to be speed on speed. They're going to run the floor. They're going to pitch to open shooters, and everybody can shoot. And they have a go-to score with the ball in their hands in Coloma. I love Creighton. I'm going with the jersey that Rob is wearing as a team that can compete for the league. Hurley can do it. And not only that, he's got Adama Sanogo, who could very well be an All-American because of his production level. The dude is a beast inside. I like this UConn team. Andre Jackson is a guy that – does a little bit of everything for you. He's not somebody that's going to get a ton of pub. He's going to be right around that nine and a half, 10 points a game. He's going to get three or four, re- or he's going to get five rebounds. He's going to get three or four assists. I like his makeup beside the guys they already have. And Jordan Hawkins is just waiting in the wings to be great. Like, is he going to be able to take that step? That's a big thing for them. Another guy that they're going to need to be good. Uh, Tristan Newton is East Carolina transfer going to have to be really good for that team, but they have secondary ball handling. They have scoring, they have playmaking and they have a beast inside. I think UConn could legitimately win it. Hmm. Creighton is the clear front runner for the reasons T.O. just listed. I'm not going to sleep on Villanova though. Not so fast, my friends. When you look at what they still have, Caleb Daniels, Brandon Slater, Eric Dixon. Dixon is underrated nationally for the role he serves for Villanova. He mans it down low. And somebody said to me a couple weeks ago, I don't know if he can handle it all. Let me tell you something. He can handle it all. They'll have Nanan Joku come off the bench, but you're going to see a lot of Dixon now. The variable of all variables is this. It's not Kyle Neptune on the sidelines. That's, that's, not, that's not what I'm looking at and saying, oh, I'm really concerned. Or like, and it's not me discounting Jay Wright. It's me looking at the fact that by virtue of their roster, Villanova, not known as a freshman factory, is going to have to rely on Cam Whitmore and Mark Armstrong to do things for them. Now, I have gotten every inclination that Cam Whitmore could be Villanova's best freshman in 25 years. And there's been some lethal freshmen. Whitmore looks the part of an NBA-ready player, of the first one and done in the program since Tim Thomas back in the late 90s. Ooh, Timmy T. Timmy T. The biggest dimension of Villanova challenging at the top of the Big East is Justin Moore's return timeline, which I had unveiled a couple weeks ago. He is tracking towards right around the start of Big East play. Guys, that changes the entire Big East picture because if a healthy Justin Moore comes back and Justin Moore's even half of what he was, it's like making a midseason trade acquisition. So for me, Villanova's going to be challenging there. Xavier will be challenging there. That's my tier one in the Big East. UConn fans may not like me for saying it, but the biggest question I have with UConn is still this. 
What is happening for that team offensively on the perimeter? I know they've got the talent. I really think that they do. But it's about Tristan Newton, Naheem Aleem, as well as Hawkins, being able to provide versatile options for UConn. If those guys are performing at a high level, then yeah, UConn can challenge at the top. But let's not totally forget about the fact that you lost two really high-level players in RJ Cole and Tyrese Martin. And those are some big losses to have to make up for. Yeah, the biggest thing with UConn is that they don't have – basically what their offense was last year is we're going to run a bunch of false motion. We're going to try to get one guy into an action where he's getting a shot coming off of a certain play, whether it's Adama on a duck-in, uh, Tyler Polly running off of a double screen, whether it's Jordan Hawkins running off of a pin down, things like that. And then if that didn't work, it was basically put the ball in RJ's hands and go make a play. And they don't have that guy where you can put the ball in his hands and go make a play this year. Tristan Newton is going to be fine. Tristan Newton is not going to be R.J. Cole. R.J. Cole was a 16-5 first-team All-Big East player who was probably – look, I, I love Adama. R.J. was the MVP of that team last season, right? R.J. was the most important player on that team. So that's going to be the big issue with them. I will say this with Andre Jackson available. Um, you do kind of have two playmakers in the backcourt. And with Alex Caravan, with Jordan Hawkins taking a step forward, um, and you know, with uh, Naheem Aline and Joey Calcaterra, you have a couple more shooters and Asan Diar coming off the bench. I think you have a change of pace point guard. Um, but you guys hit on all of the uh, the keys. I don't think we really need to. I like Hassan Diara. He, he, yeah, he's he's a nice little piece. Yeah, I don't think we need to go too deep into. We talked about the the top four is Creighton and then Xavier Villanova UConn, and it's all about like whether you eat like pepperoni pizza or sausage pizza, or cheese pizza. It's all going to be. What's your flavor of the month is? All right, the most underrated team in the conference. Can I go first on this one? Yes. The Butler Bulldogs. You want to talk about coaches coming back home? We got Thad Mata coming back home to Butler. I think that he addressed a couple of the critical needs that Butler team had last year. One, shot blocking around the basket. He had Mandy Bates and he had the kid from Georgia State. Um, I'm blanking on his name. Jalen Thomas. Uh, they are going to have some of the best rim protection in the conference. And I am saying that knowing that Ryan Kalkbrenner is at Creighton. Uh, I think that the combination of that plus a couple of those freshmen getting a little bit older, plus the addition of Eric Hunter, who can be a, a, uh, a, a hawk at, at the point of attack that can make threes, plus your boy, T.O. Ali Ali Good coming player. in on the wing. You're going to be able to play four round one. You're going to be a little bit older. You're going to have a rim protector at the bucket and Thad Mata, say whatever you want about him, right? He had Ohio State as the best program in the Big Ten from about 2006 to about 2013. And I don't know if he's going to be able to make it be like this with Butler, but I look at that roster and I look at that coach and I say that is a tournament team, and I don't think people realize that Butler is a tournament team this year. Fanta, where do you stand? Oh... The DePaul Blue Demons. Oh, <laughs> let's go. I'm going bold. I'm going let's outside go. the box. I'm telling you, um, I, I've got some some signals here. I can see them out in the distance of the of the wind and the and the clouds from Chicago. It's like a bat signal, but it's got the Blue Demon logo on it. I know that they lost some some major pieces in, in Javon Freeman Liberty and David Jones. Um, I don't think that they feel in that building that they are in a place, last place. I think that that's a team that is going to be more connected, even more connected than they were last year. 
I think that's a team that still had scars from the Dave Lado era in Tony Stubblefield's first season. If you probably didn't watch much of DePaul, folks, the listeners here are probably saying Fanta is out of his right mind. He's out of his damn mind. But that team should have, and I know should have, should have, should have won a number of games last year, and they did. They do have some pieces. Umoja Gibson from Oklahoma is a bucket getter. That kid scores at a very high level. Caleb Murphy coming in from Minnesota was a high-level transfer addition. They still have Nick Ongenda. They have a kid named Phil Mongebrowit that I think is a really interesting piece to the puzzle. And Tony Stubblefield, you could say whatever you want about, about Tony. Here's what I know he was able to do by the end of the season. He had that team playing pretty hard. He had that team defending significantly better. He had that team in games. They bring Terry back as well. Uh, Jalen Terry is back. I think DePaul, they're not, they're, they're getting underrated because they're probably going to pick to finish last. And I have a gut feeling that they make a little bit of a, of a step here this season. And guys, I can't sit here and tell you that like, I think that Providence or St. John's or Seton Hall are underrated because I think they're probably all going to finish jumbled in the middle of the league. I think DePaul takes a step forward and I'm a little bit down on Marquette and Georgetown. So I'm going to go with the blue demons. I'm going out way outside the box here. Hey, I will say this, Caleb Murphy. It has NBA potential. He is wow. so fast. T.O., for the record, T.O. has been on this for, like, months. He texted me in the middle of August, literally in the middle of August, and he's like, hey, what do you know about Caleb Murphy at DePaul? I think he's a pro. And I'm like, why are you texting? I'm on the the beach. Why are you texting me about DePaul? What is wrong with you? Well, Terrence, was it? Oh, I'm I'm just breaking down some film on him. Like, on DePaul in August? Terrence, help me out here. Was it an awful pick to say that they're a little bit underrated? I I like that. Now, do I think they're going to be in the top five of the league? No, No, but I think jumbled in the middle is is possible. I certainly think it's possible, and a lot of it's because of Caleb Murphy. And not only that, like, he's played defense before playing for Brian Gregory down South Florida. Like, he's a – he is – I'm telling you, if you guys go and watch clips of this young man, he is so fast with the basketball, and he changes directions so well. Like – and does it in just spectacular fashion. He is so much fun to watch. And not only that, 6'4", a buck 85, a buck 90, however big he is, like he has NBA-level speed, NBA-level athleticism. He passes the ball real well. He just doesn't shoot it. And what's the one thing that all these NBA guys think they can teach? Shooting. Like, don't be surprised if you see this guy just dominate the G League and end up on a roster. I can't believe that we just did a – we're doing a Big East preview. We're going to talk more about fucking DePaul than we are first about of all, First of all, disrespect. And Seton Hall. Disrespect. Unbelievable. He didn't pick his underrated team yet. I didn't. Well, see, this is the problem. This is why our, all of our podcasts end up being an hour and 45 minutes long. Because, you know, <laughs> all right. team. Who you got? No, well, there's not really that many teams, but I, I Seton Hall – you said they're going to be jumbled in the middle. They could creep up in that top little tier. I, uh, dude, I'm so I'm so worried about saying the word tier wrong. You guys have gotten <laughs> all in my head for the past few weeks. It's not I have, that, like tier, it's not like that I, hard. Like if, if there's it, one hey, word that you should be worried about, single tier here. Every time I don't say tire. So <laughs> there you go. There's that. Uh, those guys are good. And what, what have we talked about, guys in other power five leagues or power in the other power five leagues, like? who transferred to the Big East and turned into really good players. Alamir Dawes was a really good player at Clemson. Femi Odukali was a really good player at Pitt. They just didn't win. Like, they have multiple guys that kind of fit that mold. 
And they got a couple. They got the young man from Louisville. Oh gosh, here we go. Dre Davis. Yeah, Dre, Dre Davis, Davis and his brother Tay. And his brother Tay is a bad boy as well. They still have those talented four and five men with Tyree Samuel, Trey Jackson, Yetna. Like if they're healthy, they're really good in the front court as well. And uh, how do you pronounce it? Indefu, Indefo, yeah. Casey Indefo. And Defo, that dude is everywhere defensively. Yep. We play when I was on staff at Clemson, would have been his freshman year. We, they St. Peter's came down and played us, and they were a handful. And a lot of it was because he was everywhere on the floor. I don't think it's going to change just because he changes jerseys no. and moves across town. Yeah, there, there's uh, the rumblings coming out of what is it, South Orange, Fanta? The rumblings yep. coming out of South Orange is that he's been one of their best players in practice, their best player. Yeah, he's and been can, their best player. He, the can, transition to the Big East is not going to make a difference. That kid, if he could do it against Kentucky and Purdue, he could do it in the Big East. Yeah, and right. they're not going to ask him to be a guy that scores 15 points a game. It's just go out there, muck stuff up, make plays defensively, be six seven with a long wingspan and athletic and energetic, take some charges, block some shots, be switchable. Like For the like, record, the best choice of these choices was Rob's. I agree with you, Rob. Butler would have been my pick. I didn't want to repeat. I really like what Butler could be. So this is, I think this is the I first I like Seton Hall too, because Kadiri started practice. Yeah. <laughs> He's brought it upon himself to show up. To what were you going to hey, say? Well, I, I finally stole a pick from you. Normally it's you stealing picks from me. That's normally how it goes. All right. We got to keep this thing rolling. All right. I want to talk about what the proper expectation for each team should be. So let's, we're going to start. I'm going to tier it where final four, mm-hmm. sweet 16, Tire. get to the uh, win a game. Yep. Get to the dance or just make any postseason. So let's start with Final Four. Who can have actual Final Four expectations? Let's go quick on this. Fanta. Creighton. Creighton, that's easy. T.O.? Nobody. Nobody. Nobody? Nobody. Nobody. So I think Creighton is a – is. I think that they're a top-five team in college basketball this year. Yeah. I'll get I, the reasons why when we get into the bowl predictions. Yep. And I do think that Villanova, with the caveat that Justin Moore, mm-hmm. come March, is back to being Justin Moore, I think if you can give me Justin Moore, Caleb Daniels, Cam Whitmore, Eric Dixon, and literally anybody else in that program, I think that that group is good enough to make a run to a Final Four. Okay. I agree. Several, so, several Sweet 16 level teams. In my yeah, so, all right. So, Sweet 16, who, who is, who, who ha- should have the level of expectation that they should be a Sweet 16 this year? Go ahead, T.O. Uh, Creighton, I think they're an elite eight team deep in a second weekend. UConn has that ability. Villanova has that ability. Xavier, they could win a game in the tournament. Sorry. So the top three in my mind, Creighton, UConn, Villanova, those three. Our our second weekend teams? Yeah. Fanta? Xavier, Villanova, UConn would be the three teams that I would pick for second weekend consideration. Villanova, with final four aspirations, Rob, I agree with you on more. I also think the one thing about Villanova is Jay did not play his freshman last year really at all. So Jordan Longino, Angelo mm-hmm. Brizzy, guys that are kind of getting overlooked collectively on the roster because they might not have as much buzz. But Villanova actually has more depth than they've than they've had beforehand. So uh, but the, the Sweet 16 teams would be Xavier, Villanova, UConn, Creighton's in the – they're absolutely Final Four aspirations. Yep. I'll, we'll also note about Villanova, Brandon Slater had ankle issues and shoulder issues and foot issues and everything issues after the first two months of last season and probably should not have been playing down the stretch of the year, but he's 
a tough MFR on that Villanova team, and he was not going to sit out. So uh, getting him back healthy, I think, is a huge addition as well. Like we were talking about him as a potential second round pick for a while at the start of the season. He was shooting like 40% from three, dunking on people. So getting him back will be big as well. I think Villanova, you can make an argument they're being underrated. All right. I think Providence should have the expectation for winning a game. I want to talk about them a little bit. They're the reigning champs. Uh, and, I mean, they're they're basically retooling everything. It's Jared Bynum and a bunch of transfers. Fanta, I know, were you down there yep. yesterday? So you saw him practice? Talk to me about him a little bit. Well, Bryce Hopkins is going to be an all-Big East player mm-hmm. if everything shakes out. Guys, I walked into the gym. It took me no time to figure out who he was and what he was about and what he was doing. You want to talk about having a different body frame. You could see why he was recruited to Kentucky. I talked with him at length yesterday. He said it's so hard when you would check into a game for Cal. And he goes, nothing against Cal, but I knew I was going to get taken out right away. He goes, I just knew. And he said, I couldn't play that way. I couldn't live that way. He goes, I just... He goes, I know people now are going to doubt me, but he said, I just feel more comfortable here because at Providence, they're going to let him rock. Mm-hmm. They're going to give him the basketball and they are going to let him rock. Ed Cooley told me yesterday, he reminds him quite a bit of Rodney Bullock, uh, a friar in the past in Cooley's tenure. He Here's told me Ben Bentle. Ben Bentle a little bit too. LaDante Henton, like these big combo forwards that are just buckets. And that's they're been buckets. something that Providence, when they're at their best, they have had that guy at the four slot. Even last year, to a lesser degree, Noah Horkler served that role really well for Providence on catch-and-shoot opportunities. They're going to try to move Hopkins off of screens, get him separation, get him looks. The key for Providence is what you just said. It's not the front court. Ed Crosswell will hold things down at the five. He'll be serviceable. He'll be, he'll be a good option. He, he could be a breakout candidate. The key for Providence is what happens in the backcourt beyond Bynum. Because last year, you had Al Durham. You had Justin Minaya on the wing. You had A.J. Reeves. Now they're going to ask for Devin Carter and Noah Locke to step up. And let's face it here, perimeter play for Providence was a major difference maker because defensively you had to account for Watson in the paint, so you're going to have to give something up. A lot of teams have packed it in against Cooley's flex. They're going to pack it in again. Carter and Locke taking shots is different from Reeves and Minaya and Durham. So my concern for Providence is perimeter shot making and being able to get a collective buy-in from that group. Jaden Pierre is a freshman guard who's going to get some time. He's a bit underrated, but uh, I I think they're going to be a middle of the pack team. I think that they'll probably finish fourth or fifth in the league, maybe sixth, four, five, six in this league. You probably could interchange for, for most days. I think Providence fits right in there. Yeah. So I I think Providence is in a tier of their own as like not quite as good as UConn Xavier and Villanova and not quite at the same level as Tournament teams, I think St. John's, Butler, Marquette, Seton Hall are the four teams, T.O., that I, I would argue are good enough to make the dance where that should be considered a successful season. Disagree? Yeah, I yeah, know. I I was going to kind of hash in on, on Providence a little bit. Noah Locke's a really good shooter. He doesn't really have a playmaking bone in his body. He, he is what he is. He, he's a shooter. He, he can space the floor. He knows what he's there for. He's going to continue initiating the offense. The biggest question for me is shot making besides him. Like – Horkler was very valuable because he, he had so much gravity within that offense. That flex stuff that Cooley runs, when you have a four-man that can shoot the ball, like it spaces a lot out. Like the, the shot making besides him. And then if something happens to Bynum, who's your backup guard? Is it going to be Corey Floyd? Is it going to be Jaden Pierre, who I've heard good things about? Quante Berry's not ready. Like backup point guard play, who's going to handle the rock? I, I like Devin Carter. I think he's a good player. I thought he was really good uh, at, at South Carolina. 
not necessarily the best playmaker for others, but he can get to the cup. Who's going to be a playmaker outside of that? Yep. I agree with all of that. Uh, I do think that they, they're probably good enough to be, they're going to be in and around the top 25, depending on what Bryce Hopkins is, depending on who or how good Carter Locke and, and Corey Floyd end yep. up being like, they'll, they'll have a chance. Ed Croswell is going to be a, a 12 and 10 guy this year. Yeah. Beast. Beast. Still, very little, very, very little question about that. All right. Let's get into some of our preseason awards. Preseason player of the year. Adama Sanogo. Is there any, any argument against that? Hmm. No, well, there's there's so many arguments from Omaha because he's owned Ryan Kalkbrenner, but it's really hard to assign a player of the year to Creighton. Owned by, owned by Ryan Kalkbrenner, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He uh, Ryan Kalkbrenner has owned him. Yeah. Um. There's so the problem is, and Creighton fans would get upset at this, but Creighton, you have a complete team. Like there's Bingo. not one, there's not one player that's except there's, there's a couple of exceptional talents, but it's hard to pinpoint a preseason player of the year, because if you name it to Shireman, you're kind of taking away from Kalkbrenner. Here's my bold take. I think the player of the year could be Arthur Kaluma. Oh, I have a, I have a bold prediction. That'll be interesting there as well. All right. Who's your, who's your player of the year to and your coach of the year? I got Sonogo and then coach of the year. I think Sean Miller is going to do it. Okay. Manta. Yeah, I'll go Sonogo. Coach of the year is an interesting question. Uh, I'm going to go with Thad Mata. I'll go with Thad Mata and Butler in his return season. Yeah, to me, the preseason guy that you got to peg is either going to be Sean Miller or Greg McDermott. I I think that if Greg McDermott wins the Big East for Creighton, like you got to make the argument he should be coach of the year. Uh, First team All-League, this is what I wrote down in the Almanac. Jared Bynum, Caleb Daniels, Cam Whitmore, Adama Sonogo and the big homie Ryan Kalkbrenner. Is there anything on there that you would change? Either of you? I had uh, Posh Alexander on there, Caleb Daniels. I didn't have Cam Whitmore on the first team. I have a hard time putting freshmen on the first team. Yeah. Yeah. I would swap Whitmore out um, and I would put Colby Jones in there. I, I really believe in Colby Jones. So I'm, I'm going to go with him on my first team with Sonogo, with Daniels with Kalkbrenner and I have one other slot. Um, who did Posh. you have with Posh, Posh Alexander? Posh yeah. Alexander gets in there for me. I don't put freshmen on the first team. Can I, can, 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 I'm sorry. I know we're running short on time. Colby Jones. I, I understand the intrigue and he played well late, but what does he really do? Well, just a multi-tool offensive player. And I think that Sean's going to continue to get that out of him. I think he's also a really good defender. They're going to have him get the rock and make plays time and again. I mean, he needs to be the centerpiece of that team. So I'm betting on Xavier to be a top 20 team in the country. And I think Mm -hmm. that Jones is the centerpiece of that team. So maybe I'm higher on him than others, but I'm putting him on the first team. I also am putting him on the first team because guys, one thing about the big East is there's not a ton of proven a level scores back in the conference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, proven, proven. Second team, second team. I got Cam Jones, Nunji, Nimbard, Jordan Hawkins, and Cam Whitmore. Yeah, my second team: Ryan Nembhard, Chuck Harris, a Butler, Posh, Colby Jones, and Jordan Hawkins. And I will say this about Jordan Hawkins, and then we can move on. Um, if UConn is going to be a team that actually competes for the Big East regular season title, as opposed to being a team that ends up like thirteen and seven, fourteen and six. Jordan Hawkins has to be a 17 to 18 point per game guy, like a stud, like have a James book night kind of break. Like he's a different player in the book night, but have that kind of an impact on an offense and the attention that a defense has to give them. Um, your X factor in the regular season title 
race. T.O., I'm going to go to you first. Uh, Zach Fremantle's ability to handle Sean Miller. That is the X factor of how good Xavier can be, in my mind. Well, the X factor for me was going to be Jordan Hawkins because I think if they can unlock him at UConn, then UConn can win the league. I just It's one of those things where I need to see it to fully believe in Hawkins. I think that the other X factor to the regular season title race is how Trey Alexander continues to rise here in year two. He was the main proponent of Creighton's run at the end of last season. He managed games. He did so many things well for them. He initiated that backcourt, and it's almost as if Ryan Nemhard's injury unlocked this side of Alexander that we had not seen before, but it also made Creighton a tougher prep because teams were blindsided by what Alexander was doing late last season. So how do Alexander and Nemhard coexist if it's as good as what we think it could be? then guys, Creighton's going to win the Big East regular season crown. But being the hunted, being the hunted is such a different role. And that might be the biggest of the factors here. How does Creighton handle being the biggest game on everybody's schedule? Normally in the Big East, it's Villanova. Not this year. Creighton is the biggest game. Yeah, so I think there's a couple here. Um, I think that I expect Jordan Hawkins to be really good. I don't if I don't know if he'll be an 18 point per game guy, but I, I'm I'm kind of penciling in like 14 to 15. Yeah, that's where I'm at. I think the biggest yeah. the biggest X factor is like point guard play at UConn. Tristan Newton, what kind of impact does he have? How does he work in concert with Andre Jackson? To me, with Creighton, the X factor is um, one like the the sophomore leap that the Nemhard Alexander Kaluma class takes, and also the impact of of Baylor Shireman. Mm-hmm. I expect him to basically be what Mitch Ballack was. And maybe a little bit of a better pass. So like the way that that you can oh, kind of manipulate defenses by running him off of screens, the actions that you can put him in, the yep. fact that that dude is going to hit thirty five footers this year, like he just is. He he has range for days, and the fact that then all of a sudden you have three playmakers on the floor because Trey Alexander we've seen to be a point guard, Nem Hard we've seen to be a point guard, and Baylor Shireman was like the guy that initiated offense at South Dakota State. So. Yes. Um, that's going to be interesting, but to me, look, the Xavier freshman too, like Des Claude and Cam, um, Cam craft, their impact, I think is important, but the biggest X factor is Justin Moore. Like, what is he come February? Yeah. Right. Like you see, he, he's coming off a of blown Achilles and I know Fanta, I know he told you he wants to be back by the end of December. That to me, that is a, like, I'm going to have to see it before I believe it. Like Achilles injuries, you, you don't come back from blown it. Like you can't rush that, you know, like it's, it's a very, very difficult yeah, thing to get back from and to get back to the level that you were at before. Uh, I do think that there is a benefit that Justin Moore does not rely on just raw explosiveness to survive. Mm-hmm. Like there's an element of craft and guile to his game that I think is going to um, kind of nullify what the impact of the Achilles is, but it's still, it's a torn Achilles. Man. I agree. Like that is that. Yep. So his, what he can be when he comes back, I think we'll determine what Villanova's ceiling is. All right, it's time. It's bold prediction time. T.O., I'm going to you first on this one. I want your boldest bold prediction. And you got to go bold, T.O. You can't pull one of these T.O. moves where you just say something. Oh, I don't want to get too uh, – I don't want to get too – I need a bold prediction from you because I got a bold one. Uh, Cam Jones at Marquette leads the Big East in scoring. I like it. This is a guy that it, it, he was kind of there. There were a lot of there were a lot more weapons with a lot of those guys. What was it Justin Lewis leaving and some of these other players leaving at Marquette? Cam Jones just kind of waited in the wings and played within the offense. This dude's a bucket. 
and he can do it a lot of different ways. He can shoot it from three. I think it was – he shot over 39% as a freshman from three. He's got good size at 6'4", buck 95. Like, this guy can get to the rim. He's athletic enough to finish. And in that up-and-down helter-skelter way of playing, him playing beside Tyler Kolick, who's only – a Kolick, excuse me. Kolick or Kolick? Probably Kolick. 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 Yeah, Kolick. Yeah, well, Kolick is what Kolick babies like have. a horse. You know, a horse's Kolick and their stomachs turn over? No, Tyler Kolick, him playing beside him, those two – uh, will make for a heck of a one-two combo. Cam Jones is, is a really, really nice player. Will lead the Big East in scoring. Fanta, you know all about horses turning over their stomachs, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> very, very wise in that area. You know all about it, is, yeah. that, is how he phrased it. All right, Fanta, give me your bold prediction. Oof. Xavier makes a Sweet 16 for the first time in six years. They have not been to a Sweet 16 since 2017. I'm buying all the stock. In the Musketeers, I think that they're going to be there. And I think that for the first time in the 10 years of the reconfigured Big East, this is notable history, there has not been a champion at Madison Square Garden from the Midwest side of the conference. Drought ends, not as bold, but drought will end. And we're going to have a Midwest tournament champion at MSG, which that that's certainly new, but I'm going to ride the Musketeers train. I think they make the second weekend of the tournament. I just really like their makeup. And I think Miller, as opposed to Steele, will have them playing their best basketball at the best time of year to do it. All right. So here's, here's my bold prediction. You touched on this a little bit earlier, T.O. I think that come March, we're going to realize that Ryan Kalkbrenner is the best player in the Big East. I think he's yeah. going to be the Big East player of the year. I think that we're going to be talking about him the same way that we talked about Walker Kessler at Auburn last year. I think he's going to be the National Defensive Player of the Year. I think he's going to be the anchor of a Creighton defense that ends up ranking like top five nationally on a team for Creighton that wins the Big East, wins the Big East tournament, and then goes and makes a run to the Final Four. I am all in on this Creighton bandwagon, and I think it all starts with the fact that they have the best defensive center in college basketball, a guy that's going to be an All-American Defensive Player of the Year, and that we're going to end up saying in March is a top five big man in college basketball. So listen, this has been the Doster, the TO, and Fanta podcast, the DTF podcast. That was the Big East preview we have coming up next week. Uh, I don't even have it written down in front of me. We have, uh, I think it's the Big There'll 12. be another preview. There'll be another. We, we need to discuss who's next. Yeah. <laughs> the, you know, we, we got the Big Ten coming up next week. So oh. we'll see you guys again next Monday. TO, you better start preparing. Fellas, this has been fun.